Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I bumble like a cracker flag gumbo. Welcome to the Rumble presented by Pain of the Claim. We are here each and every Wednesday helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I am Jeremy Lavelle, CEO of Remedy Claims Consulting, alongside with my good friend Brent Hooper of Max Claims, hanging out there in Baltimore, Maryland, and always so very cool. The wonderful... The sultry and stunning baby case. <laughs> Round of applause, baby case. Yeah, we can't we can't do it without her. Anything we do that looks cool is her, guys. I want to be reminding you that this uh, this is a show. This is a discussion format show. While it is called the Rumble, it is not Brent and I that are in the Rumble. It is you each and every day. The topics are going to be discussed in three 15 minute rounds. So when you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun. And when you hear this sound. You know that the round is over and we are moving on to the next topic. Well, enough of the house cleaning. Do we have any kind of breaking news? Anybody die? Um, I'm sure. I'm sure someone did. Someone died. Yes. Yeah. Life insurances are life insurance policies are being paid off right now as we speak. So a quick moment of silence for those folks. All right. That's enough of that. And remember to, to update your policy. Yes. Make Thank sure you. that you actually have a policy. Um, and, uh, you know, always, always good to make sure that part of your financial plan is. Or don't secure. die. Yeah, with the advancements of modern medical science, there's no reason there's to no think excuse. that I shouldn't live to be, you know, 140, 145. So. Fuck all that. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week been, Brent? Good, good, good. It was uh, 70 degrees here today, and apparently it's supposed to be like 35 tomorrow. I, or something like that. I don't know. But so, nah, so yes, yesterday for us was like 81 degrees. And today <laughs> it was like 50 degrees and with like a 20 mile an hour wind out of the north. So it felt like it was about 16. That's that's interesting. It's um, not that. Not that but I'm a Texas uh, we, boy. We what do I know about being cold? I do. Well, is it are 40 degree weather swings normal? I don't. Yes, I don't know. Texas, I mean, the Mid Atlantic, yeah, the Mid Atlantic, we have some really weird weather patterns, but um, you know, just the the, I don't know, going from forty to seventy, back to forty, and it's, I think it's supposed to be in the thirties this weekend or something. Like, it just seems very stark. I don't know, but I only notice the weather when it's weird like that. So maybe that's why I'm. You know, well, I'm yeah, I mean, it. yeah, you, you're all used to the status quo. So when it gets, when it, when it's supposed to be hot, we're used to it when it's hot. And when it's supposed to be cold, we don't complain about it too much. But when it's hot, when it should be cold, like I've planned for it to be cold. That's the thing I can't. Right. Okay. So it's February 2nd, right? You know, and you're ready. I mean, it's like, okay, we're going to go outside. It's February 2nd. I better grab my jacket. You know, um, I mean, I realize I'm in Texas, so I probably don't need a hat or gloves, but I'm going to go ahead and grab my hoodie, throw that thing on. And I walk out and it's 78 degrees outside on February the 2nd. And you feel like you could get a sunburn. It is like, good grief. Can somebody please make up their mind? And you know, I, I guess, I guess having lived here my entire life, you think I would be used to it, but man, like I'm a little bit pissed 
when it's hot <laughs> during the winter because it's never cold during the summer. I love it. It, it when would it's be warm during the winter. I, I just I don't know what it is. I just prefer the cold I weather. I get so little of it. I get so little of it. Brent's probably going. Yeah, you should come up here and hang out for a winter and see how much yeah, you like it. Yeah, no, seriously, but, seriously. Although it's been really mild, but anyway, um, enough of the weather talk. You want to get into it? Yeah. Well, actually, claims adjusting is one of the few jobs I know that I can get paid for talking about the weather. Um, <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Ain't well, that the today, truth? what what we're gonna what we're gonna kind of be kicking around today, folks, is what I refer to as claim meritocracy. And so I have this little saying that I like quite a bit. We take claims based on their merit. And so what we want to do as claims professionals is be the guy that is doing the right thing for the claim. So if the claim needs to be, it just simply needs to be either A, supplemented, B, maybe it does need a public adjuster, or C, maybe it's just ready to go to go through the appraisal process. And so those are going to be the three different things that we're going to be unpacking today in three 15-minute rounds. And guys, round one starts right after this. Choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including free voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, and Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. You already have these pages. She'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today if you want to get started. You can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service and SEO search engine optimization where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E. And she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round one, supplementation. So, Brent, coming from a long history of thousands upon thousands of supplements <laughs> and also being a public adjuster during the time that you did, can you kind of tell us when are you absolutely sure? When is there? I mean, that's when you're pretty much 99% sure. When, how do you know when it's time to just simply supplement the claim? So, I don't, I don't have a um, – it's a great question that has droves and droves of debate and and dialogue surrounding it right so i don't want to pretend that i have 
sort of the here's the the catch all fix all answer. But a couple sort of parameters that that I sort of revert to are um, I kind of start with some questions like what's in dispute. Right. So, so look, you can't answer this question without kind of getting into the Yupa thing. And usually when we think of supplementation, we're thinking about, you know, residential sort of storm claims, exterior, minor interior type stuff. That's, that's, in my experience, that's the context that we think of supplementation. And so, with that being said, it's like, you know, when's it appropriate? When's it not? One of the one of the the boxes that get checked for me is like if if in general the scope is agreed on, you know, and even the word scope has like a hundred different definitions if you're in the forums and stuff. I'm just for for a benchmark, I'm referring to like, hey, is the whole roof approved? Okay. We we agree that we're tearing off X amount of squares and we're putting back X with waste, right? So we agree on that. In that context, it's like, hey, if things are missing from the scope, from, you know, like an efficient in-house supplement person or a supplement company, like I think it's extremely appropriate. It makes sense um, that you have that person on behalf of the contractor or the contractor has that sort of resource set up to get those to get those spaces or those voids filled in and get rectified. So that would be one thing. That was a long way of saying like, Hey, is the scope right? Like, do we generally agree? You know, is the scope agreed on? Okay, great. We agree on the scope, but there's just some, there's ancillary line items missing. Sometimes those line items are, or sort of, sort of inconsequential. And sometimes they're really bad, you know, and those line items can represent fives and tens of thousands of dollars on a pretty basic, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, again, I'm not this. I'm not being dismissive of any of it. Yeah, I mean, um, just take like high profile ridge for example. If the guy just wrote for regular ridge shingles, and we're talking about 800 feet of ridge shingles here, yeah. and they're actually high profile <laughs> Z ridge, you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars worth of ridge shingles that are that's going to play in and matter as it pertains to the actual cost of this loss and what they have. Yep. And you know, and so look. When, when I, the supplement thing is really interesting. Obviously have a background in it. We did a shitload of supplements over the years. Um, but you know, you, you run into these, like you run into these, these, um, conversations where, you know, you'll have people say, oh, well you shouldn't be supplementing. And even people in our industry, they start ringing the Yupa bell contractor shouldn't be doing that. You're not allowed to do that. I've had Pete, you know, back in the day I had PA say, oh, what you're doing is illegal. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, 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 no. Right. And there are laws, know your state laws, know what you are allowed to do. I'm not an attorney and this is not legal advice, but like, you know, supplementation has a very, very, very important place in the claim process. Um, and so scope with that said scope agreed upon scope is one thing that I check off the list um, or that I, I kind of run through um, another one would be the the capability of the contractor involved um, what I mean by that is different different con- Contracting companies or construction companies are set up differently. 
And so some of them have, again, some of them have resources in-house where they're set up, you know, the claim comes in, they run it through their supplement department to make sure everything's good. And that's great. Other companies have that that uh, TPA or that third party is set up that when the claims come in, they send it over to their third party and they, they do it. Some contractors just don't have those things squared away. So I think that, you know, when is supplementation appropriate? When is it? If you're a contractor and you don't have a resource like that, you know, look, a good PA can review a claim with you or a good appraiser, some, you know, and some of us are both, you know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't right, need to right, have right. like a go-to vendor. You might not do a lot of insurance work, but I think it's important to note that like, Hey, insofar as you're trying to work off the insurance company's scope to some degree, it's usually, it's a good idea to like have somebody in your corner that, you know, is reviewing this stuff. Um, they can kind sure. of do, do what you and I are doing on this podcast. Kind of like, Hey, well, Here's what I see. Here's what I don't see. You don't necessarily have to have somebody on your staff to do that. But um, so as it, I mean, I, I, yeah. I just kind of want to, I, I want to bring in a little bit of clarity maybe for, for a couple of things. And there's a few points that I would like to make. And um, as it pertains to looking at these different situations, there's, there's probably a caveat I should have, I should have pointed out as we started these rounds. And even in round one, it applies that some level that we understand the reason we're in the situation is the carrier has written an estimate, which means by and large, we were not brought in at the beginning of the claim. And so as it pertains to try to redirect this claim into the direction that we believe it should go. One of the things that we have to look at is the estimate that the carrier, carrier has basically, or the value that the carriers put on the loss. And so we've got to look at, so understanding that we've not been brought in at the beginning, we didn't have the app, the opportunity to absolutely establish a stronger narrative. This is what we're dealt with. So um, there's a couple of ethical things that I would like to address as it pertains to supplementation. If you are supplementing in my, this is my humble opinion. I'm not an attorney. I'm not going to tell you when you're violating the UPA law and all of these kinds of things, because I think that there is plenty of places for, for contractors to either hire a third party administrator to handle the conversion of their requested supplement into a format that the insurance carrier accepts, you know, and that, that hoop that they make contractors, you know, jump through. It's like, we want an exactimate. Oh, but by the way, we won't talk to any of your third-party administrators. And so we're just going to make this absolutely, we're going to require all of this for you to even actually talk to us. But when you actually try to pull it off and you get expertise to come in to try and speak our language, we're going to make it even harder for you by not talking to them. So it's like, we appreciate your hiring of an interpreter, but uh, we don't, we're not going to, we're not going to work with them. Um, so you, you, I'm sorry to interject, but like you literally people when when we, when I was, I, we were, um, you know, providing a, a, a heavy amount of supplement services. I would often get asked like, like, dude, like what's, what's sort of the hardest part, <laughs> you know, like what's the hardest part of the gig. And you literally just nailed it. The hardest part of the gig is when you, when you run it through the supplementation process, the intake, you put everything together, you get it written up, you get it all packaged up, you send it off to the carrier and they go, hey, uh, thanks for sending all this shit over, but uh, we're not talking to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's and like, anything okay, well. you send us doesn't matter. 
Despite despite right, we that we're care. like this agent, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're we're this representative of of the contractor, which you agree to talk to, but you won't talk to me. Okay, so I'm I, I mean, and I don't really want to go to seed on that. Obviously, there's there's a lot there's a lot to be unpacked there, and I you know, and I'll and I'll let Brent take that. But the other thing that I want to look at as it pertains to supplementation is the misuse of supplementation. That I don't think I can talk about the proper use of it unless I kind of address the misuse of it. I'm going to give you an example. It is going to be high. Hyperbolic, and I hope this under you understand what I'm saying is that you look at an estimate and you realize that it's got gutters on it, and there was no and there was no allowance for the detaching and resetting of undamaged gutters. There was no allowance for that. You can't remove and replace the drip edge, whatever the case may be, and you send it in for supplement because you simply know that you can get more money. You simply right. know that you can get more money, so you're running it through the supplementation process without any intention whatsoever of actually performing that. You just know that the money's available. It's not very scrutinized, and so you decided that you were going to supplement for more money, and you didn't need it. So I've got a real problem with that. I don't think that that is the on the most honest thing that you can do, and if you need money to do something, then by all means, supplement for it. The other thing that I would like to add is for all you new public adjusters out there really trying to break your teeth on how the claims process works, a great loss leader for guys in business is to learn how to supplement some of these claims because it will not only teach you the claims process, it will also help you learn how to um, support and negotiate a file properly. And, and those yeah. things are all in, incredibly valuable. And so please don't misunderstand me. When it is time to supplement a claim, you absolutely should supplement a claim. And uh, I'll pass it hey, to Brent for your thoughts on that and see what you think about that. I have absolutely zero uh, counterpoint. I, that was very well said. I do have something to add, though. Um, the... The supplement process is also, in, in conjunction with everything you said, it's also a great way to get some basic sort of construction, you know, yeah. get a lot of reps yeah. in, you know, yeah, like yeah. kind of right. learn learn the lingo, learn, you know, um, you know, you you get hooked up with a, a couple contractors that that you know have a nice process, and it really it, it's like a running a supplement on a exterior claim is like a microcosm of everything. Like you'll, you'll learn how to sort of document and submit claims. And like you, you really just kind of learn, you know, we always say the process, the process, we beat the shit out of that, that term, but right. Each little step, you know what I mean? The estimating, you'll learn some of the construction lingo, how the shit goes together. You'll see different roofing systems and you really do learn a lot. And, and, you know, again, you get dialed in with a, with a couple contractors that do a fairly, fairly decent volume and you, you're going to get the reps and you'll get them fast. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, and last but not least, if you're a newer PA, there are a lot of, you know, pretty well-oiled um, restoration companies out there and they're happy to teach you stuff too. So like, sure, you're not out, you're not out like under contract with a policyholder that's looking at you to be like the savior. You know what I mean? Like you can working with a contractor and their project managers and stuff like that. Like you'll get a handle on how that business runs, how it works. 
and get a, a, a sense of the freaking lay of the land and, and how Absolutely. the supplementation process like affects the rest of the claim, right? Oh my, um, I don't know what I, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't have spent time with contractors and restoration contractors, roofing yep. contractors, that kind of thing. Most of the reason, most of the expertise I, I tout at all is because I was in the, in the thick of it. It's so valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, man, when, when I came into this industry, I didn't even know what a shingle was made out of, you know, I didn't know anything. And right. I had the good fortune of, um, you know, having some good people around me that I could learn from. I wouldn't say that I had anyone, you know, sit me down in a classroom and give me six months of training. I learned by trial, but I do give a lot of credit to like some of the contractors and people that I was lucky enough to work with for a couple of years because I learned a shit ton from them. You know what I mean? So, well, and speaking um, to that, Brent, I mean, you've got to be, you've got to be somewhat resourceful and go learn some of these things on your own. While it is good to have somebody, but you, you've got to go get on, you got to be knocking the heels off of somebody's tennis shoes, asking them questions and trying to figure that stuff out, whether you're getting on YouTube and watching videos or you're out in the field with yeah. guys, you know, getting those answers yeah. and asking those questions. You know, I mean, you, be ready. You're going to have to self-educate. I mean, and so, or you're going to get left behind. That's what I'll tell you. I mean, it's like there is no way to keep up hoping that you're going to catch a seminar or listen to an amazing podcast and get all the information you need. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, never stops. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, new. Yeah. it's, it's a constant effort. I am constantly trying to find out new stuff, look at new perspectives, find out if I'm right or wrong on stuff. I mean, it is, it is forever going. And so again, why we're even sitting here doing what we're doing right now is, is so yeah. that we can help aid and aid in that, in that effort. Yeah. Um, you know, the supplementation space is, is, I think it is probably one of, it's one of the most underappreciated sort of claim services, if you will. I don't, I don't even know. It's one of the most underappreciated services out there that I, I think. And it's absolutely required. Um, it is a necessity in the claims process. I mean, dude, is it, Jeremy, you can attest to this. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of claim it is. I, we always kind of gravitate toward the residential storm claims because I guess they're the most they're common, plentiful. but like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just a, it's an easy watermark, but like, sure. dude, you run into it like me, you know, you're running big fires and commercial and shit like that. You're supplementing various times throughout that process right yeah um, absolutely and and it's and honestly it's a pain in the ass like you know you're you're trying to get through the claim you're you know you're getting funds released you got checks coming you got you know seven different vendors that you're juggling between and then you run into a snafu you know on the claim and you gotta you gotta get your estimate re not rewritten but you know what I mean? you gotta write the supplement you gotta get your documentation together it's like that process is like a microcosm of the whole fucking claims process. You know what I mean? Like you, it's like a reset. Yeah, it's a reset it is. Button. I mean, it, it is. I mean, like, it's, it really is. It absolutely I mean, is. Yeah. So it's like you, it's, and you uh, go through it several times. And I mean, just because you're done yes, with the one and yes. I'll tell you, man, as much yes. as, and I'll tell you, there is all kinds of effort to do it once. 
you know, and then if you do it more than yeah. once, there is all kinds of effort for it to be the last time. Are you sure there's nothing else? I'm not going back again. I'll tell contractors that all the time. It's like, you better figure out how to get it done with this because I ain't asking again. I am not asking again. I, I kind of made promises, you know, and then, and I mean, and if you're going to have to ask for even more, you probably should have should have looked into what we're going to be talking about in round number two, which is public adjusting. But first we're going to talk about, um, but first, before we get into that, um, <laughs> round two starts right after this. <laughs> Advocates United is back in Dallas this Friday, March 3rd at 6 p.m. at David Buster's. Look, guys, there's two ticket options here. $45 general admission ticket gets you a digital copy of the Commercial Claims Advocate Public Adjuster Handbook along with admission to the event and a $95 VIP ticket. Not only gets you a copy of the handbook, but it also gets you a T-shirt and access to the after event with a meet and greet with all the speakers. I'm going to be there. Vince Perry, uh, obviously, he is going to be there. I'm excited that Matt Mulholland is going to join us along with Steve Patrick and the contractors coach, Jim Johnson. You do not want to miss this event. I am looking forward to seeing each and every one of you there. Boy, I hacked that to shit, yes. didn't I? Yes. I? I tried. I really did. So, I'm still proud of you. All right. Round two, public <laughs> adjusting. When you like getting involved. Why do why why do why do you need to be hired, Jeremy? You're a public adjuster. You're a big bad why public do I, adjuster. I don't know about big and bad, but uh, probably more bad than big. But uh, you know, I mean, public adjusting. Basically, I you know, public adjusting is a pretty simple thing here is when we want to because public adjusters basically exist to help you prove the loss. So if there's a question about whether or not you're going to be able to prove this loss or not, then I would say get a get a public adjuster if you want to make sure that you do it right. You know, I, I think that it, when it comes to you can't quite put your finger on what's going on. Public adjusters can be very good at fleshing out the true causation and what actually happened. I think that's that's when you want to do it. Or if you have had something that has come up, if you have had something that has come up and there's a coverage question, you know, like a misinterpretation of an endorsement where without a public adjuster who can come in and actually correct that individual, and I don't even want to say argue, I just simply want to say correct that individual on how policy is interpreted through whatever <laughs> litany or myriad of, of devices that they can do to prove that this guy is wrong. Did you say interpreted? I don't, interpreted. You said interpreted. That I, you know, however he interpreted it, I guess. So whether or not, I mean, when you get into a situation where only a public adjuster can come in and and correct the guy, and it's not really almost, it's not about arguing. It's about making sure that the policy is enforced in a proper manner, and they're not interpreting it inappropriately. So, and that's yeah. where a public adjuster is useful. But again, that public adjuster is going to have to know what he's doing too. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I I I grapple with this question a lot. Part of the reason why I grapple with it is because, you know, our contractor friends they ask, you know, hey Brent, when should I get you involved? Or, 
you know, what kind of claims do you want to work or, you know, what kind of stuff do you want me to send you? And they'll make, they'll make comments like, you know, I don't, I don't want to waste your time and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's interesting. And these are just very sincere, genuine conversations with, you know, and Jeremy, I know you have guys you work with every day and all that. And it's like, it's one of those things where there's just not a simple answer. Um, you know, we've said on the show and you and I've said, you know, oh, well, we want to get brought in at the beginning and we want to control the narrative and we want to make sure that the insured or the homeowner or policyholder, uh, you know, we, we got to make sure that they perform. And these things are all true, but they're like, the more I think about it, it's kind of like fluffy, you know, it's not, it's not that practical. It's not something that a layman would understand. Um, and so my sort of common sense answer to, Hey, when does it make sense to get a public adjuster involved is look, when there's a lot going on in a claim, it's usually a lot going on, meaning like multiple coverages, multiple, you know, multiple rooms, maybe, you know, interior rooms, or maybe they're structural. When the claim is just more complicated, the more complicated the claim, the more likely it is that it's appropriate for a PA to be involved. And the reason I say that is for the purposes of having a point guard on the claim or having a, a, a middleman on the claim or gal, middle gal, whatever. Um, you know, somebody, somebody that understands the claim process and somebody that can communicate what's going on to all parties. See, let me, and I'm just going to expand on that really quick and I'm going to kick it back to you. But like so many things, take the insurance company out of it. So many things I see, like when I, you know, if I'm doing like a, like a larger residential, like a tree claim or a fire, or a large water, you know, you got six, seven, maybe eight vendors one of the things that gets so fucked up is like none of the vendors really talk to each other, you know, like everybody, sure. everybody's trying yeah. to help the homeowner, like get their stuff done. Homeowners, you know, God bless them. They, they don't always know what's going on. You know, it's the first time they've ever been through this, this mess. And so you've got like all these competing interests trying to happen at the same time. And then you throw the insurance company in there and God bless them too. And it's just like, there's, there's no, there's nobody taking all of the pieces and putting them into any sort of, uh, you know, common sense, you know, uh, digestible format. It's just, it, it's fucking chaos. So I think a, a competent public adjuster is, can or should be very useful in just managing the claim. Never mind the arguing and the magic wands and we're the heroes here to get everybody all this money. No, no, no. Just like the practical. Absolutely none of that. Uh, Absolutely none of that reason. You know what I mean? Like I am telling you absolutely none of that reason. I mean, just because I think I can come in here with, you know, growling and snarling and showing all the different things I can do. And I'm going to tell this best adjuster (laughs) what's going on. And I'm going to rip him, you know, a three bedroom, two bathroom double wide asshole and I'm going to show him what for and I'm just going to rip him up. He ain't ever seen anything like the likes of me and I'm going to turn it loose on him. <laughs> you frightening shit. You know what I mean? I just, that, 
ego bullshit is not anything that I have any kind of patience for whatsoever. And it's like, dude, if you realized how little authority you have, you would come at this thing with a completely different approach. And I have gone in showing my teeth. And I'll tell you this, if you show your teeth, you're just giving them a good place to kick. Yeah. And I want to be honest look. with you about that. Now, so go, go ahead, Brent. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done. Oh, I was that, going to say, that's look, the public, adjust- public adjusters, uh, and I'm, I'm qualifying this with competent public adjusters, they're a great accountability measure, right? They're a great accountability measure. Um, and that, and I, I know it sounds, you and I beat this to death and sorry to the people if you're sick of hearing, but that accountability measure falls under the umbrella of like controlling the narrative. And when things, when, you know, on more, I guess, nuanced claims or complicated claims, it doesn't take a whole lot for the narrative to get, get out of whack. And then you end up, you end up stepping on a landmine. And by you, I mean like any, any contractor or the homeowner, it's like you're, you're chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then all of a sudden you, you, you run into this snag in the claim and then everybody's looking at each other like, well, what do we do? And I got, I got Sally, the desk adjuster that just started six months ago and nobody can get any answers. And it's like, what bell do we ring? What lever do we pull? Oh, and we're six months into the claim already. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. I know I'm kind of droning on, but that's like, in my mind, like, you know, as somebody that's doing this stuff every day, that's what I identify a lot of our value with is, you know, knowing, knowing what the hell is going on and what should be happening next. And, you know, being the conveyor of information, ideally, you know, you know, and not, not to jump the gun into our next round, but I mean, when, when do you actually go ahead and perform the post, the, the post, the postmortem on, on what you've tried to do here? And, and when do you let it go enough to say, you know what, I've completed my job as it pertains to proving this loss. Now, whether or not they want to either a accept the value of it or the existence of it, I've, existence of it either way, I have done my job and my job has now come to a close and I'm ready to let it go to the next phase so that either these people can get on with their lives with money or get on with their lives without money. Whatever it is, I'm probably not a part of it moving forward, and I need to recognize that. That is, um, and I don't want to, like, segue. I know we're about to get into the appraisal thing, but I'll tell you, that's a a topic that has been talked about extensively in my circles where it's like, even as a public adjuster, we run into these issues and, you know, you're sitting there scratching your head going, do you go to appraisal? You know, do, do we nudge our, you know, our attorney sources and, you know, you're getting run around, you're getting your, your teeth kicked in. Like, where do we escalate from here? What is the next step? It's, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Well, yeah. And that's the thing. What's the number one complaint about working with a PA, Brent? That it takes forever. It takes forever. Right. And so there's got to be like, while we have our reasons and some of the reason it takes forever is it takes that much time to clean up the mess that was made before we showed up. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm sorry, I got to get this out before I forget it. One sure. of the things that I remind folks, uh, whether it be homeowners or contractors, whatever, 
is like one of the reasons it takes so fucking long is because more often than not, when we're brought in, the insurance company has already said no 10 times. Right. Right. With it, it, the, plain and simple. They've said no 10 times. They've sent, uh, you know, a half a dozen partial denial letters. They've had the claim reassigned to three different adjusters that all read the same notes and say the same freaking thing. They've got their narrative. They're a, you know, $30 billion company and they've said no. They've had, you know, we've had our, we've, we've done three inspections. We had an engineer, every, everybody on our side agrees. Our investigation's complete. You haven't sent us anything new. So the answer is still no. It isn't. Then we come in and we, we wave our PA flag. And for some reason, there seems to be this stigma in our industry. That's like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're the big, bad public adjuster. And why is it taking so long? You should have been able to come in and just like, get it done. And it's like, well, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, so anyway, that was my little bit there. It's like, they've been they've said no 10 times and we're, we're coming in and telling them they're wrong <laughs> and they're going, well, we don't give a shit what your opinion is. <laughs> it's right. Like, yeah, we've made our mind up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, good for you. Now that you're all caught up with the rest of us, we're going to go ahead and move <laughs> on at this point. Yeah. Glad you could show yeah. up. Glad you're here. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the claim. We're glad you're here. And I'm glad <laughs> if you could just go ahead and take a seat over there, we'll get you attended to here shortly. But I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be no, just like it was the 19 other times you asked. <laughs> and and so if you're that guy, I mean, and you're looking at the claim and there's just no place where you think you can find to get a yes, then I wouldn't be signing that claim. You know, it's like you've got it so messed up and I've run into those and I thought that I could get anybody to change their mind. Boy, was I, you know, and, and it's like, I'm going to tell you, look, okay. As it pertains to being a public adjuster, there is some value in going through the process, win or lose. Okay. A lot of you, especially in my area, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex area, it's hard to be a PA and not work roof claims because that's where we have we have more claims there. They're high-value claims. I mean, they basically start at about $30,000 on average. That's where a roof starts. Um, around here, if we're talking about a full replacement, you've got a, you know a litany of contractors where the, we're often considered the roofing capital of the world. Um, I cannot tell you how many roofing contractors you run into. I think the only thing we have more than roofing contractors are churches. Um, <laughs> serious. Um, the, the, you're going to be working roof claims. And the reality of it is, is generally by the time you're brought into a roof claim, the carrier has already come in and, 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 has a narrative and then they'll get and and then the contractor will get a reinspection and then they reinforce that narrative so they don't just have one person saying it now they have two people saying it and then yep. they disagree again or then they get a third person and then it may be an engineer and so you're asking one pa to refute what four other people have said and agreed on some of them have degrees in the area supposedly um <laughs> You know, it, it, for whatever that is worth or isn't worth, the fact that you have to go in and absolutely discredit all of those people, you know, I get discrediting one is easy. It's like, did he check the policy? 
did was he given a copy of the policy and in the world of sending out your 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 um roof inspection services or independent adjusters who are no longer given the a policy or any kind of authority it's a real quick question it's like why would you send someone to investigate a claim that has no idea what the coverages are you know what i mean and and that's how you discredit it you know what I'm saying? So it's reasonable to think if he didn't know what was covered, he had to make some assumptions. Some of it may not be. Some of it may be. We can't use his estimate. We can't use his report. So I've just discredited the one guy real easy with that one simple question. And so now we can start from ground zero and basically at a level, yes, the claim does start over again. Essentially, we have to start the claim process over again, and that's because it was mishandled from the beginning. And I most commonly carriers love to mishandle claims by getting it out of order, believing that they're the ones that set the value of the loss when they're not. Yep. If they would just require that the insured fulfill their responsibilities after a loss as it pertains to the proof of loss, this could be avoided. But when when homeowners do that and they learn the process to set the value of a loss and the carriers no longer get to be able to do that, the cost of claims go up. So when you have right now national averages of claims between seventeen dollars and $15,000, those are all lowball numbers. And so the real true average claim that the, that 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 people that people um, experience is not between seven and fifteen thousand dollars. It's probably closer to twenty five or thirty if we actually got proper estimates written on the upfront um, inspection. And that's what I think about public adjusting, Brent. I will give you ten seconds to kind of close up if you have anything to add there. Uh, no, man, that was good. I agree. The only addendum that I have is, you know, keep in mind, it is the insured's responsibility to prove their loss. Absolutely. Not the insur not the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. Right. So when claims filed and we go out and we defer to the insurance company to basically investigate, set the amount of loss, and then tell everybody, homeowner contractors, how much the claim's going to cost and what needs to be repaired and what's damaged and what isn't. And how to do we it. We are quite, yeah, and how to do it. And how to do it. We are, it's a, it's, we are quite literally telling the insurance company to do our job for us. By our job, I mean all of us, the homeowner, the public adjuster, the, the contractor. We are literally giving the insurance companies the keys to the castle and saying, hey, yeah, we got this damage here. Why don't you guys come out here? Tell us how much is damaged. Tell us uh, how to fix it and tell us how much you're going to pay us to fix it. Well, and when so they, and when they come mind. up with some. Right, exactly. And when they come up with some bad information and when they come up with some bad information right. and we're and then we're all shocked and appalled at it. Our next room, well, yep. we'll just take this to appraisal. Well, you you had your opportunity to set the value of the loss by simply proving it, and you act like you're mad when they come out and they come up with a low number. What did you offer? What estimate did you offer saying, hey, thank you so much for coming out. We think this is what it's going to cost to replace this roof. Why did, Why is that not done yet? And I, and, I, and I realize that there is a factor of ignorance and lack of education on the homeowner's part not knowing because they're so nervous about not letting the insurance company do their thing because their claim will be be denied or their or their premiums are go up there's all of this fear that goes into a homeowner's mind which we should be helping them understand how 
how all of that works as well. But never mind that. I get why we're at it. But that does not absolve you of going out and getting your information put together and being ready to go when that insurance carrier shows up as it pertains to what you think it's going to cost. Right. So, right. Anyway, and so then that's why I'd say, you know, you know, that's why we use appraisal and we're going to get into that. And round three starts right after this. The Paint of the Claim is looking for sponsors and we would love to promote a business that provides services or equipment to public adjusters, restoration companies, and roofing contractors and general contractors. Examples would be like safety gear, roofing-related products, restoration equipment, payment services, CRMs, reporting services, expert services, anything like that. We want to help you tell your story and get you together with the people that really need your help. So give us a call we can we can get your name out there and we can grow with you round three appraisal (laughs) how do you feel about appraisal um the very first word that comes to my mind when somebody says let's go to appraisal i think risky that's the name that's the word that comes to my head is risky yeah yeah um Sometimes, sometimes I, it kind of depends on what it is. I will tell you this when I feel like I'm running up against guidelines and guidelines only and not just a complete miss philosophy of what it takes to fix something, you know, um, like, and what I mean by that is, is that I want two coats of paint and they want one coat of paint, but we all agree that it needs to be painted. That kind of thing. Those, that's where I think appraisal right. can be can be really really handy but when we think only one shingle needs to be replaced and you think the entire roof needs to be replaced i think you're i think you're flirting with something really really risky there that's that's my opinion yeah that's what i think of it it's i like that i like that i can get behind that um i say i i say risky too um and the thing is, is like what you just set forth, what you just set forth, at least for me, is a pretty clear line. But in practice, and maybe, dude, maybe, maybe it's just the claims that I'm looking at pretty regularly. Maybe they're just fucked up. You know what I mean? But I, I feel, I feel like when, when I'm at that crossroad to do or not to do, it's, it's not that uh, it's not that clear cut for me sometimes. Yeah, right. Well, so, and none but you of know what I mean. Like the scenario, your scenario makes perfect sense. I couldn't agree more with you. I just feel like for me, I don't. I, I it's it's just not that clear cut. I'm not I'm not in that scenario that often. You know. Right. Well, I mean, I you know, I think appraisal is a great tool if it's if it's something you know, and I feel like I said I feel better about it when I feel like I'm running up against guidelines. You know what I'm saying? And and it's like you don't have any sort of because there's no policy policy language that you're standing on and no policy language that I'm standing on, then clearly since that's not an issue, that means we don't have a coverage dispute. What we have is some other kind of dispute and there's a method to 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 resolve said dispute. And that's what I that's right. what I look at. But let me go back. Can I can I use this one? And look, man, I'm as guilty of going into appraisal in this scenario as anybody is. So I this is not me telling everybody that they're wrong. So don't don't misunderstand me here. But I want to be clear. 
if they're going, we want to replace two shingles, and you're going, well, the roof's in coverage. We, we're we're going to go to appraisal. We're going to go in, and, and the roof's in coverage. You've opened up coverage on the roof. Here we go. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're absolutely 100% not wrong because these things are, are fastened together either by adhesive strip or by nail. These things are fastened together. They should be looked at as a system and, and if not a full unit at a bare minimum, a system that, that works and is incorporated and when one relies on the other thing. So I, I'm not, you're not wrong. You, they have opened up coverage, but the question that really the question from a legality standpoint would be, and let me preface this with, I am not an attorney. And if you're listening in, in whatever state, please check your state laws, your statutes and check with your attorney. But this is my, this is sort of kind of where I'm coming from is one could question whether or not those shingles that are not involved in their current scope are even in coverage at this point. And so if they're not in coverage, that's why you guys are going through the appraisal process, getting full roof replacements, one in, in appraisal, and it's being vacated at the end of it because yeah. you appraise things that weren't in coverage. And so understand this. While you think appraisal's cute and you think it's a magic wand that magically gets you the answer that you were looking for, that is not what appraisal is meant for. It is arguable that these things that you are getting approved in appraisal were even in coverage in the first place. So be careful when you just start running into appraisal like it's going to solve all your problems and it's the answer to every one of your little prayers. Yeah, well, and look, and I, I don't, I don't want to come across like I'm preaching either, but appraisal has ramped up in the last five years, right? It has the utilization yep. of that, of that clause. Right. So, which is fine. Hey, it's there for a reason. Right. But the, it, there was a time where it was like, Hey, look, we got a dispute in the amount of loss. We're going to invoke appraisal to get this off the adjuster's desk and basically get two, two sets of eyes on this for, you know, let's get, let's get two fresh perspectives. Have the, have, you know, these two professionals, qualified people go out and then sort of fucking figure it out. Right. Well, the sure. thing is, is, and I'm all for that. It's be, right. It, I mean, it makes sense. In theory, it makes great sense. Yep. But. And I'll probably get yelled at for this or people will say I'm stupid or don't know what I'm talking about. But, I mean, what has appraisal become? I mean, the carriers, they got their roster. I mean, I, I know what it's like up in my area, you know, depending on the carrier. You know, if you invoke appraisal, you're going to get one of, you know, one of insert name. And it's 85, 90 percent of the time. It's the same fucking guys. You know what I mean? And so, so that whole idea and, and the, the carrier appraisers, they're just as bad as the carrier engineers, you know, they go out, there's no negotiating. There's no, no, I don't agree. Okay. Let's go to umpire. Then you're flipping a coin on the umpire. And again, yeah. look, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify it or sound super jaded, but like, it's a thing, right? It's a thing. You're absolutely, and yeah, no, you're absolutely, you're as a public, a, yeah, As a public adjuster, right. I look at it, it's like, okay, well, guess what? Guess what? So this is supposed to be an ADR, like an ADR clause, and it doesn't, nothing's getting resolved. 
And it goes to umpire. Oh, and by the way, the homeowner's got to pay regardless of outcome, and it's binding. So, like, you invoke appraisal, you get one of their, you get one of the carrier boys on there that has no interest in just sort of addressing this dispute and resolving it. No, they bring their, you know, they bring their ego in. And look, the guys on our side are guilty of it as well. And it's like, it's ego meets ego. And then it goes to umpire, you flip your coin, and so it goes. So, like, I don't know. Risky. It just, it's, it's risky. That's, oh, that's by the, the way, yeah. the, the, the rules, the rules and appraisal are a lot more vague than the rules that we're trying to follow as in the public adjuster realm. You know what I mean? Sure. In terms of timelines, what you can, what you can't do, what you should or what you shouldn't do. Everybody presumes to know, but like, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Look, I think appraisal is a great thing. I think it definitely, like everything we're talking about. I think supplementation is required. I think PAs are required. I think appraisal is absolutely required as a tool in this process. But you just got to be careful with it because it's not its not the silver bullet that a lot. I mean, I'm not going to say a lot, but it's not the silver bullet that it often gets treated as. It's so. your it, it is not the magic one, the silver bullet. I mean, look, I mean, I appreciate that appraisal really helps when you're running into guidelines like we don't replace flashing, that sort of thing. And those are things that you can get achieved in appraisal. I, I appreciate those things. Things like overhead and profit that in some appraisals, depending on the appraisal clause that you're working under, uh, overhead and profit can't even be discussed in appraisal because it's, you know, while I do believe it should be considered as part of the value of the damage, it is not part of the actual value value of the item that is physically damaged you know what i mean so if you're looking at one yeah. damaged shingle if you're looking at one damaged shingle the overhead and profit of said shingle is not really appropriate here because you're applying overhead and profit to something that we're not even sure is completely and totally in coverage yet and so i understand why overhead and profit is not really an argument as it pertains to the value of the damage that was done not just the cost to repair it, but you're looking at the value of the damage that was done. So, and and right. that's and that's how you're you're sort of addressing that thing within a vacuum. And there's some clauses out there that make you address the claw that address the damage sort of in a vacuum without all of the other stuff around it. So, and that's why you're not to discuss that or look into it. It's like, what's it going to take to fix this damage? Overhead and a profit and all that kind of other stuff, whether it matters or doesn't matter aside. Now, there are plenty that do not outline it. It's that one paragraph clause. Should we disagree? You pick your guy. We'll pick yeah. our guy. And whatever they come to is, is, is what the loss will be. And so in that situation, argue away, bring it up. All of that is in fair play. But again, I would say if you're in appraisal, before you invoke appraisal, you might want to read the appraisal clause and at least get your hands yep. on that. I would, I would tell you to do that. Um, you know, if you have a competent appraiser, a guy that you like to work with as it pertains to this, but I would say that you don't really need to be walking your appraisers through the loss, you know, other than the facts of the loss storm hit on this date. Hail was this size. Here is this. This is what our estimate was that kind of thing. And all of that information that is passed on, he goes and looks at it. If he agrees, whatever the case may be, you know, all of us kind of want a good outcome for the homeowner. We want them to get what they're owed. And by and large, I understand why we find ourselves in appraisal more often than not simply because 
you know, it doesn't matter what kind of proof we provide them. And so the carrier has created sort of that monster, I believe. It is like when we provide you proof and we give you all the evidence you need to extend coverage and you find some reason like ground shifting or wear and tear as a reason to not cover a loss, you know, that's that's why we find ourselves in appraisal often. Right. I um so I I just I I've been well I've probably read in the last two weeks I don't know we'll just say seven or eight different appraisal clauses and they're all different they all have their own little wrinkles in them and you know it can be an expensive and timely mistake for the insured if um, if it's invoked sort of um, without all the information, you know. So, for all the millions listening, I want to underscore all of this dialogue with, I think appraisal on, on the whole is a really I good thing. I, I do too. I do too. And, you know, if anything, I know we, we haven't really given it, we haven't provided or given the praise that maybe it deserves, but... Part of that is because, like, I see it, I, you know, I see it, I hear it, it's used a lot, perhaps a lot more than it should, maybe, some would argue that, and ultimately all I care about is the policyholder getting getting what they need, and it's really, it's a really tough situation when, you know, you go through the whole, the whole process and the award gets fucking vacated. Right. You know, it's just after having, and again, for it, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like Jesus. And, and if I, I often wonder, you know, if, if the policy was reviewed in some of those circumstances, you know, I, I, I wonder if those risks were taken into account, you know? So anyway, I don't want to drone on about that. No, but, I get it. And, um, well, Brent, I mean, whether we're talking about whether we're whether we're talking about supplementation or appraisal or when to PA it or when to let go of it, when do we kick it to legal and all of these sort of different things. The point that I really want to just kind of tie this up in is you need to pick claims based on their merit and you need to look at them and figure out what is the best way for this story to be told. That's really what you're asking yourself. Is this story best told in supplementation? Is this story best told through, through the, through the eyes of a PA or is this story best told through the eyes of an appraiser? And so when you ask yourself, that is how you look. And, and if you can't help in any of those reasons, then that's where you don't take a claim. That's where you step aside and maybe let somebody else that has the ability to take it on to the finish line. Maybe this is one of those situations. I have looked at something and even before the ink was dry on my contract, I had a sneaking suspicion that it was going to go to litigation. But I knew that a public adjuster was going to have to have his work product in there before it was ever ready right. to go to litigation. And so I knew exactly what I had to do to get it done. And so I go in there. I prepare the expert report that is going to be required anyway. I then submit it to the insurance carrier to give them the opportunity to do the right thing. Then they deny it. Now it's ready to go to litigation. We have gone through the claims process as it pertains. And I'm going to hand it off. I see that a lot. I really do, especially in larger losses. And, and, 
you know, I know how this thing is probably going to wind up, but it doesn't change the fact that I still have to go through my due diligence. And that's what I would encourage you to do is put this thing through some sort of due diligence as it pertains to the best possible outcome at the best value for the for the policyholder. And that's the end of my soapbox there. And Brent, I'll pass it to you for any final thoughts. That was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. I, Man, I don't. You know, I, you... I don't know that I got much to add to that, brother. I don't know that I have much to add to that, which is a really uninteresting comment. But well, I and do, your, I, do your due diligence. Yeah, and and just and guys, I want to encourage all of you. You know, I get appraisal is there to be used for what appraisal is there to be used for and use it within its purity. Try to approach it with its purity and not just so that it defends some sort of promise that you made at some point in time. So use it for what it's supposed to be used for, not to make you look good. So and and I'm sure none of the people that listen to this show would ever do that. No, but, you know, if you know somebody, maybe you'll share this episode with them. I think so. Yeah. And maybe, you know, Mark, you know, whatever time on the timeline you where need to listen be, to this part. Where can they find us? Oh, well, you know, there's a couple of different places that you can find us. First of all, um, you can, uh, I would, you can find us on YouTube. So we are the pain of the claim presents. That is the name of our YouTube channel. You can find us there. We would love it for you to click like, and subscribe there as we are trying to gain the steam on YouTube. And if you find it valuable guys, please share the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. And so just so you know, not only are we available on YouTube, we're on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And we always have a discussion on our Facebook page on the Pain of the Claim Presents. Usually we'll put up an episode to let you know that the episode is out. And then the discussion is there for you guys. And so... I am going to go ahead and sign off. We will be back here next week um, with another episode of the Rumble uh, presented by Paint of the Claim, guys. So uh, you guys, in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready, and we will see you on the next one. It's over. Go home. <laughs>